The legal views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute or contain legal advice. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. You are listening to the Break the Business Podcast. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. And it is a pleasure to be joined by my co-host, Dave. How's it going, Dave? I'm great, man. I'm back. I am back better than stronger than ever. Oh, it is so nice to have you back from the Far East and have you back in the studio where you belong. Yes, that's true. Oh, man. It, I gotta tell you, it is. It was a. it was a slog doing this by myself. I had no idea how hard it would be to do this without having somebody to bounce stuff off of. Well, I'm glad now that I've got I've uh, sort of created job security for myself. You really here. did. Like yeah. this was a good way to remind me of your importance by making yourself scarce and me having to plot along without you. Oh yes, cuz I listened to those shows and they were subpar. Awful. Yeah. Oh, no, terrible. Real real elephant crap. Almost Just... unlistenable. <laughs> I mean, listeners you should download it. You don't listen to it. Just download it. Yeah, to make sure we still get the statistics. Oh, yeah, it. yes, please. We need those ratings up. <laughs> yeah. uh, good to have you back, pal. And uh, and so we'll talk a little bit more about your Far East adventure and some of the stuff that you missed while I you were gone, which includes, of course, the fact that I have a book out. I mean, you were sort of in China during all that, but yeah, book's wait, out now. Wait, wait, wait. You wrote a book? <laughs> Indeed, I did. What's that called? Uh, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence, and Achieving True Success in the mil- uh, Military, in the Music Industry. Like, I was, I, sorry, I, I was I was Clausewitz for a second there. Um, oh, achieving, oh, nice reference. Yeah, there you go. Um, achieving true success in the music industry, which is now available on Amazon in ebook as well as paperback. Nice, yeah, sweet. That's All like right. a real book with like pages and everything. All right. So now, do I need to buy it? Or am I going to get a free copy? I mean, you could do both. Okay. I mean, you could buy it, and I'd give you a free copy, and that way you can say you got a free copy, but you know, you can put some cashola in my pocket. That's tr- what if I just give you a five right now. Do we cut out the middleman? How much do you think my book's worth? I mean, my book's affordable, but $5? Like, what do you ascribe my worth? Well, no, no. After, you know, after, after you know, you're paying everyone off and everything, and after all the fees get taken out, I figure you probably get 5 bucks, right? Mm, it's not a bad... Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah about 5 yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, well, you know, you're right. I kind of highballed you there. $3. <laughs> well, I think I think I get about 3 or 4 for the ebook and a, and a lot more than that okay. for the paperback. Uh, nobody cares about business. Right. Um... And also, I am. I wanted to just do a quick shout out to a, a buddy of mine, who, as an early wedding present, this is my friend Josh, bought me uh, the Audio Technica BP40. This thing just came out. I was lusting after this, like grossly lusting after this. When I was at Nam, I tweeted all about it. I even sent a tweet to Audio Technica saying, "Hey, if I s- tweet nice things about your mic, will you right. send me one?" Oh God! And all they did was send. <laughs> they, they liked it, and then they were like, "No, buy the damn mic." <laughs> um, but thankfully, uh, my my dear friend Josh, uh, friend of the show and just friend of us, right. uh, bought this mic as an early uh, engagement or, or as an engagement present or an early wedding present, however you want to phrase it. And I love talking into this thing; it's awesome, and um, I feel compelled to say one nice thing about josh for this magnanimous gesture okay one nice thing one nice thing okay one um, i'm contractually obligated to say one nice thing right. so josh smells terrific i will take your word for it all right he does he's, he's a good smelling right. man and this is a 
well-performing microphone. All right. So thanks very much, right. Josh. Now that we got the one nice thing out of the way, I will say one not nice thing. What happened? Hey, Josh, why not two mics? Uh-oh. I got the crappy old mic. You well, got this professional, wonderful mic. It, it sounds glorious. But you're still sounding okay. That you know Your mic's an Audio-Technica, too. It's just a, a, a older model, and you're sounding pretty solid. But well, I can see why you might want one of these mics yeah. as well. Let's just hope I don't come in and out and, you know, quality. There you go. Good stuff. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> solid. Um, before we get moving with the podcast, and we got a lot of great stuff today, so you, you've you picked a good week to uh, download us. Uh, before we get into the party, a um, little bit of information on how to get in touch with us. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Ryan, K-A-I-R. Follow my main man, Dave, who's back in town finally, and he can tweet again, um, D-K-A-Y-E-1027. Yep. Email the podcast with show questions, uh, propose some show topics, or just yell at us. It's all good. Breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud and also on iTunes. And if you could do us a favor, do us this solid of show, uh, throwing us a rating, throwing us a nice review, subscribing on either of those platforms, we'd very much appreciate it. That stuff really helps kind of move this podcast up. And hey, tell a friend. Absolutely, you know, please tweet it. Tweet this show out. You know, you got musicians in your life. You got people who love musicians, and you just want to, you know, spread the word about what we're doing around here. We'd very much appreciate just it. Tell the guy on the treadmill next to you in the in the gym. Yeah, what you're listening to. Like he's wearing headphones right now, but don't worry. Like look at him, and right now that guy, go ahead and bother him. Yes. Like don't let those headphones deter you. Like in fact, in fact, like jump on behind him while he's on the treadmill. You know, keep his pace and just kind of like tap on his shoulder and yes. whisper to him softly. Break, break the business. business. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, and, 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 and stare. And stare. All, all, please, all the time, stare. You know, stare at the face of his iPhone until he actually, you see him log into the podcast app and start downloading us. If not, I mean, what's this guy's problem? Yeah. You should probably, like, follow him to the parking lot and figure this out. Oh, whoa, oh, hey, oh, hey. Well, hey, hey, no, 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 we're not responsible for anything that happens afterwards. <laughs> I feel like you've taken it too far. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I mean, whispering, you know, invading his personal space and like whispering things in his ear and like getting on the same treadmill as him. I mean, that's OK. But you I mean, fight in the parking lot. Come on. I didn't say fight. I said follow. Well, what else happens in a parking lot after you follow somebody like get a ride from him? Maybe. I'm just saying that's a natural consequence maybe of following form, someone into a parking maybe lot. Maybe they'll form a lasting friendship. We don't know. <laughs> maybe our podcast will bring them together. And once they've been brought together, they can listen to the podcast together <laughs> yes. and uh, stick around for the next segment and listen to Kevin Bruner. He's the vice president of marketing for CD Baby. I love this dude, Dave. He is. Um, I saw him give a presentation at NAMM about marketing yourself as an indie artist. Mm -hmm. It was tremendous. Um, he, he speaks both as a as an executive at CD Baby and also a former recording artist. Okay. He was a member of a, and I shouldn't say was because he still is, uh, a member of a band called Small Town Poets. Um, Small Town Poets was actually signed to EMI about ten or so years ago. Um, you know, sold a hundred, you know, a few hundred thousand records, double Grammy nominations, oh, got wow. two Grammy nominations. Cool. Yo, he he his band had a, a quite a bit of success, and um, you'll hear him talk about his label experience in the interview. But basically, the whole thing left a sour taste in his mouth. Um, he 
He was, you know, not treated optimally by his major label. And he'll talk about that experience. But more importantly, he's going to talk about how you can market yourself as an indie artist and some of the things that you just have to do. And he, you know, he knows his stuff. He's super insightful. He gave a talk on this at NAM, And right after it was over, this was so shameless. Mm-hmm. I like, I mean, he just gave this speech. And the first thing I did was like run over to him after he gave it and gave him the card of our podcast. And said, you got to come on our show. And, you know, I think he was probably still coming off the high of just giving that presentation and he didn't realize what he agreed to, mm-hmm. but now we have him on the show. So oh, sucker. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he's also a podcaster himself. Nice. Uh, he has a, he has a blog on the CD baby blog, the DIY musician, I believe it's called. Mm-hmm. Um, and he also uh, blogs on that site. So he, he does all kinds of cool stuff and he's going to be a great interview. Uh, that's Kevin Bruner, vice president of marketing for CD baby. And for those of you who don't know what CD baby does, um, and, you should know who this company is and what they're about because they are without a doubt, a friend of the indie artist. So one of the challenges, Dave, as, as you've known from doing this podcast right. is, um, one of the big things, big obstacles that indie artists have to overcome is finding a way to distribute your music in the 21st century. You know? Yeah. It's probably tough to go to office Depot and just buy like sets of CDRs and just, you know, constantly burn them on your computer. Yeah. That, in fact, that's what you used to have to do. Like even as, Changing technology made it cheaper than ever for artists to record their music. You don't need a big studio anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's made it cheaper to market your music with things like social media. There's still a question of how do you get your music to the masses? And not that long ago, that was the way to do it. What you just spoke of, go to Mm -hmm. Office Depot, get a bunch of CDRs and sell them out of the trunk of your car or sell them on, you know, maybe you get a record store to convince them to sell them on consignment or something. Right. But that, you know, if you wanted somebody far away to check out your music, there was really no efficient way to do it. And then you had these micro distributors like Bandcamp, TuneCore, and CD Baby who came along Mm -hmm. and take care of all of that for you. They can, if you still want physical CDs, they do that. But they also can get your music on iTunes. They can get your music um, in the distribution uh, in the uh, in the streaming platforms, nice, you know Pandora, and they also now have a uh, they do publishing administration work. They can help get your songs sync uh, synced into movies and things like that. They do a lot of great stuff at CD Baby, and they do it all without owning any of your masters. It's still your recordings, and they basically just get a piece of every sale. Like it's a it's a great way for indie artists hmm. to get their music out there. And so uh, you know Kevin's going to talk a little bit about CD Baby. Nice. Sounds like a nice one-stop service shop for they, the indie artists out there. They're tremendous. And you know, believe me, this is not a commercial for CD Baby. We're not getting any money for them. I'm just a big fan of what they do. Well, we might. Well, give it time. Yeah, yeah give it time. Of course. I mean, with with uh, with at, with adoring praise that we're heaping on now, it's only a matter of time before they uh, line our pockets. No, 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 no. Uh, CD Baby is awesome, and Kevin Bruner's awesome. So stick around for that interview um, coming up in the next segment. So, Dave, you've been in China. I've you, been in China. You've been in the Far East. You've left me alone to fend for this podcast myself in, a, in an empty studio because I know you. I know if I had brought co-hosts in here, you would have been like super like, oh, God, I'm, you know, he's taking my job away. Well, I mean, you did go to Nam without me, I, oh, which actually uh-oh. I didn't even realize until I listened to the show. You didn't know that I was going to Nam. I didn't know you were going to Nam. You didn't tell me. Well, wow. I'm a bad friend. Yeah. And uh, also because guess who was at NAM? Robert Trujillo. Forgive me. I don't know who that is. I hate you. The <laughs> basis of Metallica. Really? He was there. Guess who was also there? Ray Burton. Cliff Burton's dad. 
Right. Cliff Burton, for, the former basis of Metallica before he was tragically killed back in 1986. Oh, you, you got a lot of metal facts here. Oh, yeah, so yeah, there, yeah, yeah. So there were, so what you're telling me is that there was metal royalty there, and I did not have you along, and that upset you. How mad are you? You just played a small ukulele. I did. It was so small. It was great. But that was really cool. Yeah. yeah. Glad you liked it. Yeah. So how mad are you that... We've been doing this podcast for like five, six months now. Uh-huh. I've never had a metal band on. I you know how not. much you love metal. Nope. The one week I decide to have a metal band on is IDSFA, who was walking around NAM, and I got them to, inter- and I got to interview them at NAM. How mad are you that you weren't there for that? Oh, there was a chair that went through the uh, hotel window. <laughs> um, but no, seriously, folks. Uh, no, actually, when I heard that, and I was picturing you with those guys. In this media room, I was so happy. I I was so scared because the whole time. <laughs> I'm like, no, I mean, like that. That was I was like, all right, this is awesome. This is awesome. Your street cred went up way up in my book. Um, I no, yeah, I, I wish I was there because that would have been awesome. But uh, I know, you know, next next year we'll both go. I'd like that. Yeah. Um, one of the things I talked about during that Nam episode was how shockingly easy it was to get media credentials for NAM. Apparently, like, I feel like I've found this cheat code to get into conferences. Just tell them, uh, I have a podcast. Okay, here's free tickets. So maybe next year we can, you know, well, I, I, get, I can get two also, people in. Ex- and, and also, what other events can we get into using this? I don't know. Do you think, you think do you think like we could do like Comic-Cons and things like that? Well, see, cause that's interesting because like, you know, there's certain press credentials, but I, you probably have to be part of that press. Like, to go to E3, you probably need to be video game press, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, I don't know. Like, can we, do you think we can go to the Grammys? <laughs> I don't think we'd get okay, into Latin the Grammys. Latin Grammys, maybe. Okay, yeah, but that we could probably <laughs> sway. But um, I don't know. We can. You're right. The, the world has opened up. Maybe we can even do the Oscars. I don't know. The Oscars? Well, that'd be good. Well, um, it, it would indeed. And But, yeah, I, but, I, you know, China, yeah. China, China was good. It was rainy and cold, though. So, my last trip to China. This is this was my second trip. Uh, my last trip was in the summertime, <laughs> so it was a little bit nicer weather. But uh, yeah, actually, you know, what I realized, man, I've spent like within a year, three months of my of the year in China. Really? Yeah, that's pretty cool. It is really cool, man. You are a legit world traveler, and of all the places you've been, I'm glad that you're now right here and yes. got you back in the studio, got the show. Where it needs to be again. I feel at mm-hmm. peace. I feel like this is like this is the way it's meant to be. Like I, when when I'm alone in the studio, like it just it's it, it it's weird. Yeah. I mean, p- part of it is like sometimes I might say something that I think is a joke, and I just sort of expect like the laughter to come from the other end, and then I look across and it's empty, and I'm like, oh, I have no and idea if this is funny or not. <laughs> you're a sad clown, then. I'm a very sad clown. Single tear. But I'm happy now, and I'm particularly happy because uh, we're going into our next segment now, and you're going to hear from Kevin Bruner, Vice President of Marketing for CD Baby. CD Baby. CD. Was that necessary? Yes. Actually, that's how we the relationship even forms. We're like, hey, guys, this should be your new slogan. CD Baby. Yeah. CDs. Wow. With that kind of... Uh, great slogan making you're gonna they're gonna replace him with you as the vice president of marketing or replace yeah is that mp3 baby it's a cd baby (laughs) kevin bruner up next on the break the business podcast 
Ryan here from the podcast. Shameless plug time, my new book, Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry is now available in paperback and an ebook. The book talks about how you can be your own boss in your music career and take control of your content creation, promotion, distribution, and fundraising. Get your copy on Amazon by searching Break the Business. It's a nice read for musicians and the people who love them. That's Break the Business, Declaring Your Independence and Achieving True Success in the Music Industry. Thanks very much for your support. Welcome back to the Break the Business Podcast. He is the Director of Marketing for the music distribution site CD Baby and hosts the DIY Musician Podcast available on cdbaby.com. He is also a member of the Grammy-nominated Christian rock band Small Town Poets, who have released seven albums. Ladies and gentlemen, Kevin Bruner is on the Break the Business Podcast. (laughs) Hello there. Thank you very much for being on with us, Kevin. Uh, No problem. Thanks for having me. Well, uh, it was a great... A quick turnaround to have you on the show. I saw you give a fantastic presentation on music marketing at NAMM, and I I ran up to you right after it was over and uh, immediately and (laughs) shamelessly hawked my podcast to you, and you uh, agreed to come on so quickly, and I very much appreciate it. Uh, No problem. No problem. I can always help a fellow podcaster out. Right on, right on. And uh, so to get things started, um, and only because I know it's going to be such a big help to all the indie artists who are listening uh, to know more about you guys. Uh, tell us a little bit about what CD Baby does. Well, we're a distribution company. We've been around since 1998. We first started just selling CDs for artists. Um, at that time, there was no way for independent artists to even really sell their music on their own, uh, much less get it out to the world. And so we started doing that. Um, We've become a full-service digital distribution company. And uh, really, our goal is just to help artists monetize their music any way possible. We monetize their music on YouTube. We help them get sync licensing placements. Uh, We're collecting publishing royalties on their behalf now. So really just trying to help artists make the most money from their music possible. That's right. You guys really filled a need uh, for uh, you know artists in this 21st century to be able to you know fully break free and control their own careers. You know, you know, not 20, 25 years ago, or even perhaps soon, more recently than that. Um, you know, artists could perhaps make their own music cheaply and promote their own music cheaply. But when it came right down to it, distributing your music um, at a reasonable price uh, was out of the outside of the reach of most artists before CD Baby came along. So. Artists, um, if you're looking for a good way to distribute your music and take advantage of even sync opportunities, which CD Baby is now doing, be sure to check these guys out. Um, I want to talk uh, right now about your the things you've done as a musician. You're a member of the band Small Town Poets, and I can yes, tell I you, as somebody who has who ha- has much youth group experience in his childhood. Uh, you were a staple of my life growing up. Uh, you and Sonic Flood and Delirious, all, all the stuff still stuck in my head. Um, and what makes your story intriguing for many artists out there, and, and there's a lot that artists can learn from you, is that uh, Small Town Poets was actually signed to a major label, an, an EMI imprint. And uh, you spoke quite candidly about your experience uh, with that label uh, during your presentation at NAM, and you summed up your experience uh, quite expertly and succinctly at that presentation where you had a slide that said, we had little control, we were the last to get paid, we didn't own our music. My goodness, can you elaborate on your experience with EMI? (laughs) 
Yeah, and I, you know, I don't want to demonize uh, the people that worked there because they were there was a lot of good people that were working with us, but they were all working under the same system. This, you know, that was built around uh, a, a marketplace that needed them in order to get music to market, and uh, and yeah, it, when it comes down to it, you're the the last person to to get paid and um you know it's funny i was just uh looking at our record contract a couple weeks ago and man is it a horror show it is so (laughs) so much stuff in there that is just antiquated language that you know this was in uh 96 97 when that contract was signed and a lot of the language and things that were held in the contracts were things from, you know, 1970s or even before then, you know, with vinyl and based around things like breakage that, you know, it was common back in the vinyl days for a good portion of the the inventory to get broken in in shipping. And so therefore they would hold back 25% of the money uh, in order to account for and make sure that everything sold through. And then, you know, after a year or two went by and somebody finally noticed, they'd go, oh yeah, we have all that 25% we held back. There was only 1% of things broke. Oh, here's the rest of your money. So in a CD world, that doesn't make sense because uh, when's the last time you open a box of CDs as, you know, because artists, you know, a lot of artists get CDs shipped to them. Uh, when they release their album, when's the last time you opened a box of CDs and found 25% of them damaged, much <laughs> less one. So stuff like that is still in those contracts and, and just allows the, you know, funny business with your money. And it's not anybody trying to do anything nefarious. It's just, you know, once something is in your best interest, you know, say like airlines and baggage fees, they originally did it when gas prices were so high. Well, gas is going to be dirt cheap this summer (laughs) and are they eliminating the baggage fees no it's the same thing with record contracts there's all these things over the years that get thrown in there and they just keep pulling out standard contracts and it never gets removed because it's to their benefit that uh, the artist doesn't notice so you know things have gotten (laughs) things have gotten a little better uh artists definitely have a lot more leverage going into uh a record contract situation or at least they should if they're signing something without any leverage they're not ready um, but when we were getting signed, it was get signed or there is no possible way your music will ever be in a store. And there is no possible way that anybody will be able to go in, in a mass scale and buy it. So the world's changed quite a bit since then. But, yeah, we were also the last, uh, um, you know, we, we don't own the music. And at that time, you know, you're not thinking much about it. Uh, and this is where it's become a big problem in the digital world, you know, uh, in the late nineties, our music would sit on a shelf. Fortunately, we had some success. So we got a longer space on the shelf than probably the average artist. And so you, two years, three years later, you could still go in the store and find our albums. Um, but, uh, so you don't really think about much about owning the music and other opportunities than, Hey, it's sitting on the shelf or selling at your show. But in a digital world, it's become a big issue because there's all sorts of opportunities that have popped up that we could be monetizing our music and the record companies just not uh, tending to business or care. Our album's a low priority. It's something from, you know, our, our bigger selling records. We've had uh, seven total releases, but our first two uh, albums were the, the biggest sellers. And our third one did decent, but the first two are the ones that, as far as the record company would look at, would have the most value. And uh, so those, those uh, haven't been... Uh, you know, 
and nothing's been done with them. They haven't done anything to exploit those copyrights, haven't done anything to pitch them to film or TV. And, and there's lots of opportunities for the, the albums. I, I'm, I'm, you know, my opinion is that the sound of those records is pretty timeless and uh, still is, is, you know, usable today as it was back then. And, and so those are the kind of things where you're like frustrated. I don't own this. I can't put it up on Bandcamp technically because I don't own it. I can't sell it. I can't, <clears throat> there are no CDs printed left, you know, and I don't have, I don't even have the ability to authorize getting more CDs printed. So it's kind of weird for us. We're doing shows now and uh, we have our discographies incomplete. We only have uh, the stuff that we've done independently. We don't have the stuff that resides on a label because there's, there was another label that did our fourth record. Um, so it's, it's, it's one of those things where you're like, man, it really stinks to not own your catalog because they eventually move on, but you, that's your life, that's your work. And you want to keep uh, finding value. And, and the, the beautiful thing about the digital world is there's no shelf life anymore. So music is just music. It doesn't matter if it was released a year ago, 10 years ago, 40 years ago, uh, or it's been released just yesterday. The, the, uh, experience of music is not based on, uh, selling rhythms anymore. It's based on whether or not people like it. You know, there's, uh, people discovering music from all genres, all uh, decades, every day, and they're not thinking about, ooh, this is necessarily the latest hot release. There are people that do that, and you know, clearly that's still marketed to us, but that's less of a thing. There's no stigma for going and finding an album that's five years old and liking it, where at one time there kind of was. <laughs> so, so those things all kind of you know play into the fact that you really – uh, last to get paid, don't own our music. And what was the other? I, you, you said the little first control, one. little control. Well, yeah, these are your words, you, not mine. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> I was trying to remember what I had on the slide. <laughs> little, little control. Yeah, and so you, you don't you realize that you don't own your music, somebody else owns it, so therefore they get to decide everything, and um, you end up having to uh, do things that you wouldn't necessarily do or not, you know, there wasn't anything looking back in our career that I felt like we compromised ourselves, but there was definitely things that we would have done differently or we wouldn't have, um, uh, you know, there was a time specifically where we were really just burnt out. We, uh, uh, when I started playing with the band, they, the guys had been in various other bands since high school and they're, they're on average about four to five years older than me. And I met them right as I was in my and nearing the end of my fourth year in college. So ever since they were in high school, they would go on very extensive summer long tours and then they started doing it full time and uh, they had been touring a lot. So when I started playing with them, they were reforming and we were on the road constantly. So it wasn't like, you know, we started out in the local scene. It's kind of funny because we were based in Atlanta and I think I played in Atlanta like four times the entire time uh, I was in the <laughs> band. We hardly ever played Atlanta. So we weren't like in the local scene building up. It was already national touring and it was just go, go, go. And there's this part, you know, and it's kind of why all of us started going our separate ways. We were just burning out and there was no one. We kind of had to keep the, the, you know, the wheel turning and we just needed a break. And so those kind of things, you're like, let's just stop and relax. And, you know, uh, it has a season of busyness and we need a season of break. And you really couldn't make that decision because 
you know, uh, you got to feed the machine. So those are, those are all things that, that I'm, why I'm such a big, strong indie artist advocate and that, uh, you know, there's a, still a place for a record company, but you really, really need to know what you're getting yourself into and understand that they are not your gateway. They can be an assistant to get you to a next level, to reach a broader audience, but you need to know what you're getting into because there's trade-offs. Absolutely. Um, and it's funny. One of the things you mentioned um, about record labels is how they can often be slow to react to changes in technology. You know, we talk about keeping breakage fees in a contract, even when you know the media that's being used to distribute music doesn't break anymore. Um, what I often often like to tell artists in that regard is record labels um, only tend to notice the changes in the industry when it's in their interest to do so. Um, you know, one of the you know, more recent innovations in record contracts are these 360 deals where record companies can take as much as 30% of an artist's income in all the things that an artist does that maybe does, don't directly relate to recording, such as merchandising, um, acting income, income as an author, uh, things like that. And so that's an example where a record label saw the changes in the industry and said, oh, we need to change our contracts accordingly. So they do it when it helps them. But, you know, as long as they can keep breakage fees in the contract to benefit them, they'll make sure that sticks around. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing is, it's like when, you know, uh, going back and looking at the contract, it's not like anything in it was illegal. And it's not like we probably could have negotiated more and gotten um, a few more concessions, but you're talking about like a 70 page document and Woo. you're, ta- you're talking about, you know, lawyer fees for independent artists that, uh, or, you know, when we were being signed, uh, literally the day we were leaving to go to Memphis, cause we recorded our, our records in Memphis and we were living in Atlanta. The day we left, we were dirt broke. We're like, had a band meeting. We're out of money. This may be it meaning this may be the end. (laughs) Uh, And, but we're going to go to Memphis and we're going to make a great record and at least we'll have that. But we're so dirt poor, uh, you know, (laughs) where's the cheese and crackers? Cause that's going to be our steak dinner for a long time. And so those things, you don't have the, the resources to lawyer up for an eternity to keep going through a contract and go back and forth and, and get concessions for various things. And, you know, while you have belief in yourself, they don't know if you're going to do anything. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. They didn't know our record was going to be a success, and uh, so they have. So that, that's why you know back then you had no proof of of concept with the market. They they were just trusting that they knew you were good enough to sell some records. Now you can, you know, if you don't have an established fan base. You shouldn't be even talking to a label. You should go out, build fans, sell records, get people streaming your music, put stuff on YouTube, build an audience there. And then when the time is right where it makes sense, where you're at the breaking point where you can't manage the success any longer, that's when you start bringing people in like that. There you go. Um, So let's transition away from uh, complaining about record labels, though we could probably do a whole show just on that, Um, (laughs) because I want to talk about uh, the the you know something that's more close to your line of work at CD Baby, which is marketing. You gave a great presentation at NAM 
about marketing your music as an artist. And I want to highlight some of the things that you talked about in that presentation, if for no other reason that, hey, Nam is really expensive, and so we're just going to have you on the show to give all your stuff away for free. Sure, why not? <laughs> um, one of the centerpieces of your presentation in terms of how to promote yourself as an artist is you talked about the importance of finding your story as an artist and communicating that story to others. What did you mean by that? Well, it's a common problem for artists when they go out to promote themselves. Uh, you can open up Twitter right now and, and do a simple search and you'll see the problem uh, right there is that all they, when they, they go in the studio, they record, they make a record, they feel very passionate about it and they go to release it. And all they do is shout at everybody, buy my album. Literally those words. If you search buy my album on Twitter, this is what I said in that presentation which I did. I searched by my album in, on, on Twitter and just scanning through all the responses. This was very non-scientific data collection, <laughs> by the way. I, I, the number one response was buy my album so I could eat. I saw that multiple times. Uh, but the thing is, that's not interesting to anybody. And artists, it's funny because we're artists and we're very, you know, we're into creating, we're into expressing ourselves through music and uh, lyrics, if you're a lyric writer. But then when it comes to uh, telling the world about who we are and what we just did with our music, we're pretty terrible at it on, uh, you know, on, a, <laughs> on average. <laughs> and, and it's that, that we go to the market telling the world in a very... Uh, self-centered way. And by that, I mean, we're focused on ourselves, our needs, instead of looking at what we're doing from the outside and what other people would find interesting. And a lot of times it's just because we just don't know. We don't know what people find or find interesting about us. And so it's so important that you take a step back, figure out what your story is, what is about you, your life, the way you make music, how you, you know, uh, the songs, what they're about, that can connect with other people and build a story about who you are. And the reason this is so important is because the local paper, the national paper, um, the big music websites, they don't care that you released a new album unless you're um, a, somebody who's got a giant following already and uh, the fact that you do have a new album is an event. Unless you're one of those people, they don't care but you got to get them to care. Same with the club booker. You know, you're somebody who's trying to break into the local scene. What you need is, is some hook, something that, that says, this is who I am. This is why you should be interested in what I'm doing. And that's your story. Uh, there's plenty of new albums out every day that the fact that you released a new album is not newsworthy. Uh, so it's so important that you figure out what those things are. Now with my local paper, I happen to notice that, uh, all the time they feature a local independent artist. There's always some other reason why they featured it. Like local school teacher uses summer vacation to go on tour, stuff like that. And it's like, they found it interesting that, Hey, here's this person that's a teacher in the community and they live this second life. And it's not even like, it's not like this secretive double life. It's like they go out on tour in the summer and they're actually playing these huge festivals and things like that. And it's like, that's really interesting to them. Um, there's, you know, there's always people that are aligned with some cause or charity that, that there's interest, even just, you know, learning how better to tell the story of 
the songs and why you do what you do. Uh, there's in in the presentation you you referenced from Nam. I mentioned a podcast called the Song Exploder Podcast. I think it's a great a great reference for artists to listen to. All it is is uh, each episode of the podcast is an artist talking about a song, and then they play the song at the end. And they're about 15, 20-minute-long podcasts. And there's some amazing examples of artists who masterfully tell their story, and there's some examples of huge missed opportunity. And I think it's pretty easy when you listen to a bunch of them in a row, the ones that are great where you feel like you're kind of on the edge of your seat and can't wait to hear the song and suddenly you're a fan because you know so much about about the emotion behind it, the things that were happening in the artist's life. And then there's others where they just say, yeah, so-and-so played a guitar part, I did this drum part, and then I kind of <laughs> put some gibberish over top that somebody finally formed into words and there's our song. That's not, you know, that's not something that is an interesting story. So I think I always recommend that podcast to people to check out. And um, the other example I... I've added to the rotation that just happened to me. I was at a conference, and after I spoke, uh, an older gentleman came up to me and said, you know, he appreciated it. He wanted to tell me about his daughter. His daughter had just released an album. Oh, great, thank you. He gave me the CD. And uh, she was at that conference with him, but just happened that they were kind of tag-teaming the different uh, sessions, so she was in a different one. And he said, but I want to tell you about my daughter. Um, she's adopted uh, we adopted her when she was a baby. She, uh, or very young, she was having trouble speaking, couldn't really speak until she was six. They said that she probably would never be able to do anything like sing or anything like that. But she loved music and was determined to sing. And she was, I think she's like 16 or 17 now, mm-hmm. and, and has an amazing voice. She's releasing an album, and now it's a big part of what she does to uh, help other people with disabilities learn to express themselves by singing. And I was like, wow. And at that point, you got me, okay? <laughs> I'm, I'm not going to throw the CD away, okay? And, and, and so that's, that's the idea. He could have just said, here's a CD. It's amazing. It's the best pop music you've ever heard, which is what a lot of artists tend to present themselves as. But instead, he he infused a lot of meaning into the music. So whether or not I liked it, uh, the music was irrelevant. You suddenly have this appreciation for what the artist is doing, and you want to you want to write about it. You want to tell that story, even though it may be not be the style of music you're into. And so that's a big difference of how a lot of artists go about it. They just want to say, hey, you know, this music's amazing. It's going to blow you away. And I always tell people, because I'm an artist, and every time I release music, I find myself doing the exact same thing. <laughs> I, I, I'll be like, oh, this is so amazing. And I've just finally said, no one is going to believe in your music more than you. As an artist, no one's going to believe in it more than you because you think it's the most amazing, moving thing ever because it's like you just gave birth to something. Just like everyone's going to think their child is the most beautiful child that's ever lived. (laughs) Uh, And so you need to recognize that fact and learn that the fact that your music exists is not enough. So that's why telling your story is so important. I mean, our whole uh, language in you know, modern society is storytelling from movies to TV. Most of the stuff that we can, that we talk about as a society are based on things that are stories. And, and that's why if you learn to tell that language, you speak in that language, uh, it's very powerful. 
In addition to telling your own story, you also highlighted the importance of telling the stories of others and uh, how that can be critical to moving your own career forward as an artist. You told this great story of an artist who had a one-week residency at a uh, at some venue, and instead of highlighting his own performance at the top of whatever promotions he was doing for the venue, he would always hi- you know highlight whoever he was performing with as sort of the headliner. Um, so that that artist would, you know, be more likely to promote the show to the followers, uh, which I thought was a really novel idea. And it showed how being more selfless can actually work to the artist's advantage. Can you talk a little bit about um, why it might is why it is critical for artists to shine the light on others when you promote? Well, that example was from uh, Chris Robley, who I'm actually his boss at CD Baby. <laughs> he, he writes most of the content on our blog and he was doing a one week residency in Portland, uh, cause he actually lives in Portland, Maine. He used to live in Portland, Oregon. It gets confusing. Um, <laughs> but he now lives, so he was coming into town. And so when he comes to town, he tries to, you know, get the biggest bang for his buck in playing some shows. Cause he actually built more of his, uh, music career in Portland, Oregon. So he has a lot of good connections there still. He built, had, had this seven day residency, And, uh, you know, he did, I thought it was just really well done and a great all around because, uh, he played, uh, seven nights in a row, but every night he themed it differently. There was some nights where he was playing, uh, songs off specific albums. He's got like, uh, I forget how many albums he has. I think he's got like seven albums released. So there are different nights. He was, uh, focusing on certain albums through his, career. He was doing some cover song features of an artist certain nights. And then he had a lot of guest performers um, come and share the stage with him. People that are, uh, you know, still known relatively well in the Portland area. And yeah, so for the promos he was doing on Instagram and, and on Facebook, he actually featured those artists because, um, you know, he's not based here in Portland, Oregon anymore. And so he wanted uh, them to be motivated to promote the show in order to get their fans out. And uh, so, yeah, he, he put them on on the promotions and did these cool Instagram, like, GIF-type things. And it, it worked. I mean, he they were, they were excited. It got them excited about being on the show, and they were sharing it. And so I think that's a good strategy. You know, when I, we were talking about Small Town Poets, that was really my first musical experience uh, outside of some things I had to be in in college as a music major. That was really the first band I was ever in as well. And so uh, I had never played in a local scene because, uh, like I said, when I started playing with them, I went they were already doing national touring. Uh, so when I moved to the Northwest, uh, I was in a band called Hello Morning. We did a couple records. I'm still very I'm very proud of those records as well. They've uh, we still get song placements for those albums. We had one on ABC recently. Uh, but uh, that band was my first experience in the local scene, and it's very easy to get extremely competitive and see everybody that's similar <laughs> to you vying for the same bill, the same slot, and trying to, you know, screw those guys. I want that slot. Or, <laughs> but when you take a step back and realize, hey, these are all people that in the, in the scene. They're not going away. We can all be friends. And, you know, eventually there's enough gigs for all of us. And if we work together and maybe, you know, see opportunities to to help each other out, that we might just advance the scene together um, to everyone's benefits. And so 
I think for artists to look around and go, you know, all right, I know I, I want to be the headline. I know I want to be in the spotlight and I want everything to be on me. But the way I look at a music career is it's a, to me, it's a life journey. It's not a, a one-year event that, hey, I'm doing this thing. I got this song I really like. I'm going to, you know, do it all this year. And if whatever happens, happens and I'm done. It's a lifelong journey to me. So I think that when you look at your music scene and how can you help each other out, maybe it makes more sense for me to bring on a headliner uh, that's much better than us or much more established than us for our album release show and really promote their presence and get their fans out. And then I get to play in front of their fans and, uh, and, and make, you know, get new people discovering who we are. Um, it, it can be to your benefit. And also it just promotes that, you know, uh, lots of people in the music scene are going different places and some of them are, might be the next big thing and you want to be their friend and not the person they saw as this uh, you know, kind of an adversary in their own scene. So, uh, I think it's, it's, it's important for artists to, to look at the opportunities where they can, uh, and not just make it about themselves, but strategically, uh, involve other people where, you know, Hey, they might be more willing to to do the work for you if you just put their face on it instead of your own. Exactly. And it, it's sort of similar to advice that the noted PR, um, publicist Ariel Hyatt talks about when she said that even in your social media, you should devote, you know, something along lines of 10 to 25% of your posts to the work of others. Um, just because it helps you network, it makes you part of a community. And plus, if you talk about yourself all the time, it probably makes you sound like an egomaniac. Yeah, exactly. I mean, some things you can do is just when's the last time you, you know, saw a band in your town that you really loved and maybe have played a show with and saw that they had a gig and say, Hey, can I just come help you guys, uh, load in and load out and, uh, and, uh, you know, and chat about how we might be able to, you know, do a show sometime. They'll probably be like, heck yeah, you can come move my gear. <laughs> exactly. Um, and as long as you're doing a cool professional way and not, you know, someone who's just kind of irritating. <laughs> exactly. Um, Kevin, thanks very much for being on with us. Before we let you go, and believe me, it's going to be tough to let you go if for no other reason that your sound quality is so good, <laughs> which is which is Thank like you. pretty much primarily the only way I judge interviews is just by how good the the line is. Yeah, um, and so this cool. is like a nine out of ten. But yeah. uh, before we let you go, um, are there any other tips you want to share with indie artists? Maybe things that we didn't touch upon that you think might be worth sharing. Well, I, I think the the one thing that's in my presentation at NAM that uh, you saw, I started to talk about, and there was kind of a time crunch on the room, uh, so I had to kind of wrap up quickly. But I think it's really important for artists to start understanding what's happening with uh, playlisting and such on all the streaming services. Um, Six months ago, you know, people were talking about playlists. I'm like, big deal, whatever. I've never been a playlist person. There's, you know, I, I hear people talk about how, oh, I've got a playlist for everything. I do a playlist for driving in the car, whether it's raining, then a different one if it's sunny, and then a, you know, playlist for dinner. But um, it's gone way beyond that. And uh, it's, you know, people subscribe to various people's playlists. And those playlists get updated, and it's almost like a new distribution method. Some of the biggest success we've seen uh, from artists in the streaming world at CD Baby is uh, them randomly getting added to playlists. And suddenly they are being exposed to a much larger audience. And just some of that, that, it, that it's 
the way the music is getting shared that way and uh, stuff that's happening with uh, services that are recommending music, I think is really to the benefit of independent artists. And when you start uh, seeing all that and how technology is connecting things, that there's opportunity. One thing I did mention was uh, cover songs. Was That's another opportunity where uh, doing cover songs. Yeah, we've seen people doing cover songs on YouTube, and there's all sorts of different ways that you can do creative cover songs on YouTube and and and, and such. But uh, I told the story about how I had just been watching a movie with my wife. There was a cool song in the movie. I wanted to see who it was. I shazammed it. It took me to Apple Music, uh, where I was instantly listening to the song by the original artist, but then it was recommending a couple other artists that had also recorded that song. So there's all these ways uh, that technology and is connecting uh, music discovery in new and different ways that uh, artists need to be aware of because they can use it to their benefit and seek out people that are making playlists to add, get them added to their playlists, start making playlists of their own, of their set lists, of, uh, of you know, start grouping their songs together around different themes and, and let their fans listen to their music that way. And so there's lots of good opportunity there. I think it's going to be an interesting year for streaming. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very optimistic about where things are going. Uh, definitely. And I imagine there's a lot of listeners out there who would love to keep the conversation going with you, Kevin. Uh, can you share uh, some of your social media handles and uh, how people can find your podcast? Yeah, the podcast is the DIY Musician Podcast. It's at cdbabypodcast.com, or it's in the iTunes podcast section. You can subscribe there. I am at K Bruner, the letter K in my last name, B-R-E-U-N-E-R, K Bruner, at, on uh, Twitter and Instagram. I pretty much have Twitter open all day at work because we monitor a lot of different uh, Twitter feeds and keywords uh, at work. Um, so I'm pretty accessible there. And uh, I always, uh, Instagram is my favorite social network, though. And um, yeah, so check out the podcast. You can hit me up on either of those social networks. And, and uh, the podcast is, covers all sorts of topics like this. We've, we just recorded our 161st and 162nd episode today. So My goodness. Uh, <laughs> Um, that's very, that's, that's, that's really impressive. I can't believe you've kept it going that long. That's so cool. Um, it was tough. It was tough. <laughs> it's a grind. Uh, I can, I, I now know this it from is. experience. I don't uh, want to pod fade though. So I've been determined <laughs> to keep it going. Oh, right on. Uh, we appreciate your fortitude here on the internet. Uh, Kevin, thanks very much for being on with us. You're welcome. Uh, we'll be right back on the break. The business podcast. Ryan here from the podcast. If you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. If you want to reach out to us, shoot us an email at breakthebusiness at gmail.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. Our thanks to Kevin Bruner from CD Baby for joining us in the previous segment. That was a great interview. I mean, he's so bright and on point, and I'm so glad that, you know, he basically just recited the interview that you had to pay a lot of money to go to to see it Nam, and he just gave it to us for free. Uh, yes. <laughs> I mean, thank God. See, everyone, now you don't have to go to Nam. Yeah. We brought it to you. That's right. Exactly. Um, but he was great, and I love that he didn't just give 
the business guy's perspective, but that his perspective was also informed by his experience as a musician and doing it well and doing it for so long. And all of that came into his answers and it was awesome. And, and, and I can't emphasize this enough. How good was the sound quality? So good. I mean, aside from everything else, like even if the content wasn't good, which it was, the sound quality alone would have made it a good interview. Um, thank you very much, Kevin. We'd love to have you on again. Um, so it's Super Bowl Sunday, Dave. It is Super Bowl Sunday. It is. And the big game, the big game. Exactly. Because apparently like the Super Bowl trademark police doesn't let anybody call it Super Bowl, but you know, forget you. I know enough about trademark to know that I'm allowed to say Super Bowl right now. Super Bowl. Super Bowl. It is the Super Bowl game. Um, it's coming on tonight. By the time you hear this episode, the Super Bowl would have already happened. Um, so, you know, congratulations to whichever team won. So Mm -hmm. we wouldn't really be able to give you much in the way of Super Bowl coverage. So, uh, here's our Super Bowl coverage right now. Telegram. Project Arcturus couldn't have succeeded without you. This will get you a little closer to that dream of yours. It's not the Dallas Cowboys, but it's a start. Drop me a line if you're on the East Coast. Hank Scorpio. Oh, the Denver Broncos. I think owning the Denver Broncos is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, explain to me why it isn't. (sighs) You just don't understand football, Marge. And this concludes the Break the Business Podcast Super Bowl coverage. All right. (laughs) Um, So here's where I'm a little afraid. Right. We have, we're debuting a new segment. Okay. And... I'm not sure how this is going to go, but let me give you all the backstory, listeners. Uh, Dave has implored to me that he's very unhappy (laughs) that we interviewed a metal band Mm -hmm. while he was gone. And so I should say I interviewed a band while he was gone. IDSFA? Yeah, IDSFA. What does that stand for? It doesn't stand for anything. Well, it's got to stand for something. It doesn't. No, IDSFA doesn't stand for anything. Well, it has to. Why else would they have like periods there? IDSFA. Are we doing some stupid Abbott and Costello bit right now? Is that what? Is that what we're? It's not stupid. I can't believe I walked into it. Oh, look, <laughs> but you told me that because we had this band on and you weren't there, right? You want to infuse more metal into the show, and so you said we're going to create a segment called Metal Minute, Dave's Metal Minute, right? Where you're going to just give us metal news. Yeah, I think that's it's. it's that's the plan. All right. I mean, I made imaging for you, as I oh. always do when you have these segment ideas. It's good to know that when I come up with the ideas, you're the man that has to put in all the work and the time to do this stuff. Yeah, and you just get to you know be the hero. Like, you know, we had the Dave's As Yet Untitled Game Show. I made imaging for that. Wait, I think I have it here. Uh... Oh, wait, no, it's this one. Now it's time for Dave's As Yet Untitled Game Show here on the Break the Business Podcast. Here's Dave. Thanks, Dave. But, you know, it's kind of hard to not have a game show ready to go when you hear that. Yeah. Man. So here, you know what? Really quickly, in honor of Super Bowl Sunday. Okay, real quick. These are the inches we need to make sure Kevin Klein can be president. Any given son, Dave? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, very good. Wait. There it is. All right. All right. Next. So, but, you know, that's an example of the kind of imaging I put together for you. And this is... Our newest imaging for the newest segment. Now it's time for Dave's Metal Minute on the Break the Business Podcast. Yeah! 
That's right, it's time to open up the gates of hell and ride across the plains of Valhalla with demon swords in our hands, ready to slay our enemies, Ryan. Are you ready? Wait, 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 who is this? I, I, I thought it, I, I thought you were just going to give metal news. Why, why are you talking like that? This is Metal Dave, Ryan. Deal metal, with it. Metal Dave. Okay. You got a problem with that, buddy? Um, kind of, but I guess Metal Dave would not really care about my concerns. I do not! Whoa, man, come on now. Oh, the clipping. Yes, there's clipping. Oh, well, see, Josh should have got us another microphone to alleviate that problem. <laughs> Screw you, Josh. All right, so Metal Dave, you have some metal news for us? Absolutely. First bit of news. Oh, God. Metallica last night played AT&T Park in San Francisco as part of the night before for the Super Bowl. Why? They're too heavy for halftime, they said. Instead, the NFL has cold play. This weasley, weak little band of pussies. I like cold play. I think they're going to do a great job at the halftime show. That figures. What? What's wrong with cold play? Metallica played a whole show, Ryan. An entire set with flames. And hell. Sorry, I feel like that was just sort of warranted there. But anyway, but I mean, it's the Super Bowl. You don't like. I, I know this is going to make Metal Dave mad, but I don't think you need like that kind of band at the Super Bowl. You need somebody, something that's more general interest. And they got Lady Gaga and Beyonce are going to be there. And I heard some rumors about maybe Bruno Mars. Like it's going to be a cool show. No, it won't. All right. Um, how how was Metallica? <laughs> uh, fucking awesome, Ryan. Okay. Okay. I, oh, good. I thought you were gonna give me the. Oh, there yeah. you go. Working out the kicks here, the first show. Yes. Uh, sorry about that, Metal Dave. Yeah, you gotta know what you're doing, Ryan. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, you got another metal story? I do. All Straight right. from the pages of Metal Hammer and writer Malcolm Dome. He has a great little think piece on why is metal bridge the generation gap. Kids, old people, everyone loves metal, Ryan. Well, I mean, I don't think every. I mean, I, I think it's okay. Like, I've a song or two. Silence, Ryan! I will drag you to hell. This is a great segment. It's, it's the most fun I'm having in the show in a while. <laughs> that, I believe. Anyway, kids really love listening to the stuff from the 70s, Ryan. Usually don't have that that sort of like generational stuff. You see families going to these shows, right? You see families at Maiden, at Metallica, at Slayer. So Metal Dave, when you go to shows, like you know, you see lots of young people there. Like it's I a lot do. Of kids. You okay. see kids. You see friggin' little metal kids. Awesome. I, f I find that hard to believe. Like this does not like that kind of music doesn't seem safe for children. They have earphones. You know, rock out for child safety, right? Exactly. Oh, good. I saw I saw a little four year old at a Lamb of God show. He was going crazy, man, nuts. He punched four people in the face. I find that hard to believe, but four people. All right, maybe five. <laughs> Fair enough. All right, you got another metal story for us? We got one more, buddy. I nice. One more from the from the Hound of Cerberus, the Guardian of the Gates of Hell. Okay, though this sounds pretty metal. <laughs> Gotta pull up my metal phone. <laughs> <laughs> Does Metal Dave need more time to buffer? <laughs> no, <laughs> he's got it. Silence. Okay. All right. Straight from CNN. Ludivine, a bloodhound. <laughs> 
was let out by her owners to go to the bathroom and ended up deciding to join a half marathon that started and she ran 13.1 miles. And guess what? What happened? She finished seventh. The only way it would have been even more mental is that she finished 666th. <laughs> Wait, is this a real story? A dog ran out of her house, ran a half marathon, and finished seventh? It is so. I'm not going to play that anymore. That's probably going to drive people crazy. <laughs> That's good, right? They got to lose their minds. But, uh, okay, Metal Dave. Yes. I, I know I'm... <laughs> I know I'm not in charge of picking the stories for Metal Minute. That's clearly your job. And, and you're doing a great job, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> I just, I'm just not sure what makes a story about a dog running a half marathon very metal. I mean, those first two stories were, were, were quite metal. Did you hear the sound? Of the, did you hear the breed of the dog? A bloodhound. All right. He was chasing people in order to eat their flesh, Ryan. I don't think that's how that went down. I don't, yes, you know what, I, they I, were I, sinners. I, they sinned against the faith of the pure holy metal. <laughs> In fact, I'd go as far, not knowing more about that story, I'm willing to bet that that dog didn't actually eat anybody's flesh. And the name, Ludivine. That does sound like a metal name. I don't know what Ludivine means, but that sounds pretty metal. He's a demon that runs half marathons. <laughs> He's working his way up to a, to a full, but, you know, it's hard to find time with work and everything. <laughs> Really, this this dog like he's like he's starting with half marathons and working his way. Yeah, you know you, you got you got to put in the right, you got to train right. You know you want to injure yourself. Oh yeah, it's all about health and safety. You know, kids, you, you got to be safe out there. All right. Yeah, no, you gotta you know maybe he, he do some five Ks first. You know, work his way up. Oh, and yeah. absolutely that, and he had a good night's sleep uh, beforehand. And had plenty of water afterwards. <laughs> and he joined like a running club, you know, because it's it's good to train with others. Absolutely. Right. He's ran 5K nines. <laughs> Wait, I think that last one deserves this too. Yep, that's good. <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks very much for the Metal Minute, Metal Dave. Uh, we- oh, it's been my pleasure, Ryan. I look forward to seeing you again, and we will mosh. Now it's time for Dave's Metal but we're playing the same exact music on the outro and the intro. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I don't have an outro. Sorry. That, that, oh, that's so metal. Metal. <laughs> All right. Oh. All right. So is Metal Dave gone? Um, well, I mean, he's always here in spirit because that's who I am inside. <laughs> that's one of the voices I hear. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, God. Um, let us know what you think of Metal Minute, everybody. Dave's Metal Minute. I Email us at Break the Business. Sorry if you fell off your treadmill. At gmail.com. How do you think that went, Dave? I thought that went well. You, th- you, think, you think people are going to like that segment? I don't care if they do. I love Dave. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So before we go, we got one more segment to do. Uh, this week is Super Bowl weekend. Mm-hmm. Next weekend, Grammys weekend, baby. Ah, and because almost of Dave's Metal Minute, it's like, yeah, I don't pay attention to the Grammys because they've never really cared yeah. about me. Yeah, you don't really know much about, other than metal, you're not really keeping up on today's music, are I hope, you? I know Lamb of God 512 got nominated for Best like Metal Performance. That's so right. Hopefully, hopefully they win. Um, but you don't really know much about any other categories or anything. 
because no, I've I've kind of uh, checked out of the popular music scene after uh, the early two thousands. So I kind of wanted to do a game with you where we would you okay. know, try to pick the winners. Oh, but it's occurred to me that you don't really know any of these artists. I have no clue who anyone and is. And so here's what I'm thinking instead. Right. You know, as you as you see on the table, Dave, I have four cups. I see. Yes, I see four. Each cups. Each of the yeah. cups has I can vouch. La- labels on them. Yes, uh, of the categories for the, for the four major gra- Grammy categories: best new artist, record of the year, song of the year, album of the year. Right. All right. And so here's what I'm thinking: uh, you, you, and I, we will draw randomly, so that mm-hmm. way, like your 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 lack of pop music expertise is not a liability for you. Right. We'll randomly draw one cu- one paper from each category. All the nominees are in each cup. Right. And Whoever you know, whoever's picks win the most, uh, is the winner of our Grammy game, and and we, we make a little shame bet out of this. Okay. So for the episode, I think two weeks from now, right? The person who loses, whose whose picks do not win the the as many as the other person, uh, they have to write a an ode to the other person, a, oh, okay. a rhyming like Shakespearean ode to right. the other person that they have to read on the air. Okay. All right. You're, you're down for this. <laughs> okay. So obviously it has to be, I guess like your record. So like if, if I do, if I go one and three and you go three and one or two and two, you know, I, I, I lose. I have to write the, ode. that's right. Okay. And what if we tie, should we both have to write odes? Oh, if we, if basically if we go each, yeah, go like yeah, right, one and right, three. Right, yeah. Ooh, that's interesting. I, I don't I, know. I feel like it should go down that way because I think people want to hear this. Well I, well, I don't know. But then, well, then if anything, you know, we, we just do the next thing for the Oscars. We just got to push it down to oh, Oscars. Oh, double or nothing on yeah. the Oscars? Yeah. All right. Fair enough. We, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll work out. We're sort of working out the kinks on the show, which right, is yeah, not yeah. very professional, but, you know, we're good. So um, we're going to walk through these categories okay. one at a time. First up, Record of the Year. Record of the Year. This is the award for best recording. Okay. Okay. So do you want to you want to draw the first one or um, uh, you, you, okay all right fine so I'll, I'll we'll, go first we'll we'll, 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 we'll we'll run through the nominees quick okay uh, just tell me if you know any of these people uh, the record of the year nominees really love by D'Angelo uh, Uptown Wait. Funk Mark Ronson and Bruno Mars okay that one I know oh good uh, Thinking Out Loud Ed Sheeran yeah I know him. yeah 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 oh. yeah the uh, that's because you have a girlfriend now so well no I just <laughs> because I watch BBC America so I know who Ed Sheeran is oh Blank Space Taylor Swift. And can't feel my face by the weekend. The weekend, I'm not sure of. But by the way, would you say who was uh, the one beforehand? Uh, the the top the t- the beginning one or no? Who was the third the third name? Thinking out loud, Ed Sheeran. No, okay. After that, blank space. Taylor Swift. Okay, Taylor Swift. Yeah. You know who's not nominated? Who? Ryan Adams. That yes, that is accurate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. You know, so they don't do copies. Do, do, do you want Do you want to pull the first one out? All right. Yes, I'll All pull right. the first one out here. We're uh, shuffling. We're shuffling. We're shuffling. Try not to take more than one. Right. Okay. There's, there's uh, they stick there's together some, a little bit. Stick. There, there we, we go. go. All right. Who do you got? And I got Thinking Out Loud by Ed Sheeran. All right. That's a pretty... That's, that's, a, that's a strong pick. That, that, that's, a, that's a strong horse there. Um, I, I would say the one you want to draw here is going to be Uptown Funk or maybe Blank Space by Taylor Swift. But I think Ed Sheeran is a strong dark horse. I think I think that's a decent pick. Hmm. Okay. I have drawn uh, Really Love by D'Angelo. Um, that's, that's a tougher... That's the same D'Angelo that... When we were in high school in the early 2000s, you had that video of him. The naked video, yeah. yes. Oh, uh, he's back. He's back. Oh, um, that's good for him. You know, I feel like I have an outside shot with that one. Because it might be one of those things where, like, you know, some of the older Grammy voters, like, want to just do something crazy and vote for him. You know, kind of like when Beck won Album of the Year and nobody saw that coming. You know what? I, you know what? I'm feeling better about my pick. All right, next one. 
um, is going to be album of the year. Pretty album simple. of the year. Here, I, I, all right. So I should probably get to pick first since you picked oh, first okay, last fine. Oh, actually, oh, or do we also want to say who's nominated? Yes. Uh, okay. Nominees, Sound and Color by Alabama Shakes, To Pimp a Butterfly, Kendrick Lamar, Traveler, Chris Stapleton, 1989 by Taylor Swift, and Beauty Behind the Madness by The Weeknd. Um, I think for this one, um, you're you're pretty, you know, uh, 1989 Taylor Swift, best-selling album of the year. Like, you feel good if you have that one. Right. But I think, you know, Kendrick Lamar might have an outside shot. Um, you know, Alabama Shakes could surprise you. But, yeah, basically you want hmm. Taylor Swift here would be my assessment. Hmm. Um, so I'm just... Shuffling through these, <laughs> the post-its maybe not the best idea. Yeah, doing this on post-it notes not too smart. I drew 1989 by oh, Taylor you Swift. Son of a bitch! Oh, I'm feeling good about that one, baby. And What'd I you have, get, Dave? Ugh, sound and color, Alabama shakes. That's and, a loser. I mean, for what it's worth, I really like their music, and if I was a Grammy voter, I might pick that album. But that's, are you a Grammy voter? No, no, I'm afraid not. Okay, so that doesn't that, matter. That's not going to help you. All right, All right, next category: Song of the Year. Song of the Year. Um, for those of you um, who are a little, you know, Grammy uninitiated, the difference between Record of the Year and Song of the Year. Record of the Year is a producer's award. It goes to the best recording. Song of the Year is for the best written song. It's a songwriter's award. Uh, the way I was explaining it to Dave before we uh, got on the show was it's the difference between, say, best screenplay and best picture. Okay. And now Lamb of God is uh, nominated for this, right? For Song of the Year? Yes. I think, they, I think they just missed okay, it. Okay. How they about were, uh, Slayer, Repentless? Uh, no, uh, they, they, they came in sixth, but it's only top five. Slayer. What? It, what? You just missed Slayer? I'm so glad that thing just comes out of nowhere now. Oh, Metal Dave is back. <laughs> you, you, you rock Slayer, Ryan. All right, Slayer's great. Okay. and then They it, should win all the Grammys. All right, so. All right, so the nominees are All Right, uh, performed by Kendrick Lamar, Blank, Sm- Blank Space, performed by Taylor Swift, Girl Crush, uh, by, uh, performed by Painkiller, See You Again, that's from the, uh, you know, Charlie Poof, that was the Fast and the Furious song. What? Uh, performed by Wiz Khalifa. And um, Thinking Out Loud, uh, that's the Ed Sheeran song. Oh, sorry, Girl Crush, Little Big Town. Uh, the country music fans almost attacked me there. Yes. So what'd you get? Girl Crush, Little Big Town. You know, not a terrible pick. You know, you I never... feel like I'm going 0 for 3 right now. It might be one of these things where this happens a lot when you have multiple genres, like multiple pop songs in a category. They tend to split the vote, and all the country people might unite behind Little Big Town and get them the award. That being said, I think you're be- better off with maybe Ed Sheeran in this category or Taylor Swift, uh, Blank Space. But let me let me uh, draw from the cup, see what I get. I got Blank Space by Taylor Swift. This is rigged. <laughs> man, this my... This is rigged. It's, I'm looking pretty strong here. I got two Taylor Swifts, man. This is... Oh, the, the game is being nice to me. You just want me to buy... Do you want me to write you a damn poem? Is that this whole thing is? <laughs> that's, Apparently that's, you need that validation. It's coming out that way, man. All right. you, you better You better start writing. Finally, Best New Artist. Oh, God. Uh, Courtney Barnett, James Bay, Sam Hunt, Tori Kelly, Megan Trainer. Okay, Megan Trainer, I know all about that base. The other ones are they're probably just freaking. You just looked at a yearbook and just pulled people's names out. <laughs> well, Tori Kelly, you know, she's doing some things. Sam Hunt is, is working his way up. I think if you got any of those last three, Sam Hunt, Tori Kelly, Megan Trainer, um, you're feeling pretty good. And Megan Trainer is probably the favorite just because she's the most known. Oh, but yeah, yeah, oh, do I get to draw first yeah, this you time? Draw first. All you draw right. First. 
So I'm looking, you know, if it's like Courtney Barnett or James Bay, I'm probably a little more worried just because I don't know of them. But, you know, Best New Artist is a weird category. Sometimes, like, somebody you don't expect wins. Like, a few years ago, Esperanza Spalding, a jazz artist, you know, won that award and nobody saw that coming. Exactly. Oh, my Um, God. So here we go. I picked Sam Hunt. Sam Hunt for Best New Artist. I'm okay. I'm feeling somewhat comfortable with that. I'm feeling pretty good because I got the two Taylor Swifts. Uh, like that's all you need. I don't know. His dad Mike had a better album. Oh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> sorry, man. That that joke alone is going to get us the explicit tag. <laughs> all right, what'd you get? Courtney Barnett. Courtney Barnett. I don't know her. Wow. So uh, we're both hoping for an upset in the best new okay, artist so, category. Oh, hold on a second. I think there's been some controversy with the Oscars lately. Alabama Shakes, Ed Sheeran, Courtney Barnett, Little Big Town. Am I safe to assume these are all people of a certain ethnic persuasion? It does seem to lean that way. Yes, that there's not there's not much <laughs> diversity in this. And uh, boy, what what and with Taylor Swift being such a powerful um, force, that would be interesting. Uh, thing, what would happen if some certain awards are given to certain people? Well, and, I mean, mine's a little more diverse. I got D'Angelo on my list, so yeah, you actually got D'Angelo. All right, um, so we'll see how these turn out. This um, is this is not going to be good. Let, let, I, this this is not good. <laughs> let's tweet. We'll we'll, we'll we'll tweet out what our nominees are throughout the week. And, oh, that means uh, I have to like I have to watch this thing now. Yeah, no. Oh damn and, it! And you know, start writing that ode. Okay. Uh, our thanks to Kevin Bruner from CD <laughs> Baby. <laughs> no, so you snuck that in there. What? Start writing that ode. Yeah, no, yeah. Get get, get to work on that. Right. I don't like your chances. Damn uh, you. <laughs> uh, our thanks to Kevin Bruner from ZD Baby. Our thanks to Metal Dave for his Metal Minute. Yeah, you're quite welcome, Ryan. It's been a pleasure to be on this show. It's been great to have you. And um, we'll see you next week on the Break the Business podcast. Kung Hei Fat Choi. Happy Chinese New Year, everybody. Gong Si Fa Sai for the Mandarin-speaking folks who are observing that. <laughs> um.